Hi guys, um, really excited about this one today. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. Uh, as always, um, we've got an excellent guest for you guys, particularly you budding sales directors in the SaaS space. Um, we've got Sam, Sam Adams. Sam, welcome. Hey Robbie, how's it going? Good, thank you. Good. Um, Sam, why don't you tell us about yourself and uh, a little bit of background about why we're here and why we're chatting. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm the Director of Sales and Lead Generation at Eves. Uh, we are a SaaS business, a tech-first digital shelf analytics platform. Um, I'd use the word agency, but actually we're, we're really more of a software solution than we are a consultancy. Uh, and we work directly with retail and, retailers and brands, you know, tracking 1,300 plus retailers in 79 markets globally. So um, yeah, a, a busy man. Uh, so under me sits our customer success, lead generation uh, and pre-sales efforts. Um, so yeah, that's me. Sam, welcome, welcome. I mean, Eves is uh, is quite revolutionary, isn't it, in terms of what you guys are, what you guys are pushing out, and what you're you're changing the industry in quite a big way. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. So, I mean, my my background is is a mixture, of, a funny mixture of uh, SaaS selling um, as well as SaaS selling within e-commerce. So, data and analytics that helps um, brands drive revenue is really what my background is. But then before that, I was in film marketing at Warner Brothers. Hence. Um, this, which is a present from an old boss, so very, very different from the world at Warner Brothers. But um, yeah, I mean, how we're really revolutionising things is a lot of SaaS businesses, especially throughout really strong investment years, 2020, 2021, where you could get 10, 20x what your revenue were was. A lot of those businesses are really sales focused from the get go, um, and what that usually ends up with is quite high churn percentage um, and possibly a product that may not be ready for the scale that a really good sales team goes and gets. Um, so in my previous roles, I was uh, looking after accounts. So during the pandemic, I looked after 150 accounts um, at my old company. And then just before I left, I was looking for after four or five global accounts. And there were loads of times where I'd come across an account that's being handed over that has been sold by a salesperson trying to hit their quarterly number. And it, it's not their fault that they've got this quarterly number and that their boss above them and their boss above them is making them hit this number. And what that effectively means is that the business is really being driven by the sales requirements instead of what's right for the customer and, and technically what should we be doing? Um, so our CEO, Peter Lawton, um, has, a, has a funny background in video games. So his company was bought out in the early 90s after creating the John T. Rhodes cricket video game, uh, slightly before my time. Um, but yeah, so our CEO is a programmer by, by nature um, and then was brought in by EA Electronic Arts to set up sales businesses um, globally. So a lot of the things that you'll see, you know, EAFC came out last Friday. A lot of the things that you'll see in Ultimate Team, he was the brains behind, etc. So that's the, the, the genesis of our businesses, tech first, What's the solution we are trying? Sorry, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? Um, and effectively, all of the problems we're trying to solve were problems he had before he left Electronic Arts. Um, now, Digital Shelf Analytics is a business and a, I suppose, a solution that's between 10 and 15 years old. You've got the likes of Unilever that have got huge, huge teams um, and very, very deep pockets and lots of internal bonuses set on Digital Shelf performance. Um, but it's a very, or has been a very expensive way to track how you're performing in online retail. 
Um, and I would probably suggest that the vendors in that market, it's a bit of a merry-go-round um, because understandably they're all competing for the same sales targets, the same numbers that, you know, if they hit 110% one year, like any other business, stuck, their target's still going to go up by 25%. Um, so, I mean, how, how I believe that we're revolutionary is our error rate is incredibly low um, due to one thing called dual factor authentication. So we don't just go in and scrape once, uh, we'll go in and scrape two different parts of the website um, without going into any confidential information. We, we scrape two different parts to ensure that effectively there's a fail safe. And what that fail safe is, is has that failed? Yes or no? And do they two match? And if those two match, then we can release that data. Um, so we can really focus on right how we're driving the value instead of looking behind us and checking if things are working. Um, okay. There's a few other bits like uh, product lifecycle um, for SKU listings, which is really consumer electronic focused. Um, again, our business is, is really video games and consumer electronic focused. Um, a lot of the other key digital shelf players uh, focus on FMCG. Understandably, because yep. it's a huge market, and like I said, the likes of the Unilevers and PNGs really need this data. Um, but if you look at the the intricacies of how a, a, a consumer electronics business works, especially sales team, completely different to a Unilever. Um, again, a consumer electronics business is quite sales led. The, the the ticket item is fifty pounds plus, even for a video game. Whereas, let's say, again, I'll go back to Unilever, Ben and Jerry's, so three pounds for an ice cream. So you need you need scale, you need volume, chewing gum, you need scale and volume. So they have to be really marketing-led organizations. Um, mm -hmm. So the requirements for digital shelf analytics for Unilever are very different to Sony or Samsung. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, um, obviously, your, your, your background as the company and, and being from a tech founder, essentially, and then bringing yourself in as, as a, um, a sales expert in the space. And I know your, your history, um, you played down a little bit there, um, but it's, it's, um, it's an impressive history. Where, where, would, where would you say kind of the, your, your secret source is the moment? As being the, being the commercial person for the business, you know, taking that, that innovation, um, which is purely a SaaS innovation and taking it through to, to market, essentially. And let's face it, you, you're talking to the biggest companies in the world with, with a brand new way of doing things, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a very good question. I think, I mean, our secret source is, is very much the tech. Um, I would say that how we then put forward that tech to, to potential customers and customers is really how we can, how we drive our business. Um, it, it seems like everyone and their uncle is starting a SaaS business and we're in a year, especially in 2023, where it's not just consumers that don't have any money, but as we all know, if a consumer doesn't have any money, then they're not spending any money. Well, a lot are still, um, which is why the country's in such a debt problem, but the businesses don't have anywhere near as much money. And a CFO is going to look at the first thing they're going to look at with sales and marketing budgets is, right, what tools are potentially not being used? And what are what SaaS tools are we using? Because SaaS tools will be less likely to be have a 20-year run. You know, a Salesforce or... Um, a GFK data contract may have really long history and be really consistent, whereas a SaaS solution like Digital Shelf Analytics, either they've been using it for 10 or 15 years and they're going in a merry-go-round of different contract, different uh, suppliers, and then every year it's that kind of, we don't want to pay 5 to 7% more, so we're going to go to RFP. Um, but then the other side of it is, 
we haven't really started spending on it now and, and now is not the right time. So I think our secret sauce is really being able to present the value. Um, so we are really fortunate that when we go after a category, take video games, for example, we'll have 99% of the data that's available uh, in the market. So again, if if PlayStation came and asked me to do a demo, I could show them 75 different markets of which all of their data is going to already be there. So we can look at previous examples of if they'd been using this solution, where would they be value driven? Uh, yeah. So we see a lot of examples in something called promotional compliance, which is looking at, you know, and you've got to be very careful in the US, they call it map violations, but in the EU, because of Article 81, 82, um, you can't influence pricing and promotion. Now you can have agreements with retailers to, to cut margin um, and we can effectively help brands and retailers really police those agreements so that if Argos are saying they're going down on Monday and coming back up on Friday, we can really check that they have done that and then the CFOs will then go and check the invoices that are being sent out. So that's you know one area where I could go, you know, if, if, Apple, I'm just looking at my iPhone, which is now an old iPhone because they've brought out another one, of course. <laughs> um, so the value of that is now nothing. Um, it, it could look at an Apple and we could really understand, right, last year in Q4, there was 20% of revenue lost, not necessarily revenue, but there was 20% of retailers that were not following promotional agreements. Um, and then another piece, and talking of EAFC, we can look at is what we'd like to do um, and I really encourage our customer success teams to do is to overlap pricing and rank data. So to understand how does pricing affect rank and to explain what rank is, effectively it's your organic or, or paid uh, category rank on that retailer's site. So it could okay. be in PlayStation 5 video games, uh, PlayStation 5 consoles, mobile phones, whatever it is, um, to really understand where are we in the... Um, on the pedestal, where are we in the you know top charts? Um, and what we noticed was after possibly one of the biggest rebrands of all time, EAFC actually was tracking higher in retailers last in the last two weeks than FIFA twenty three did last year. So from that, we we kind of sent an email to EM and guys, this this is amazing. Um, just really congratulations um, because it's not easy to rebrand. I, when I was at Warner Brothers, we were releasing Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Um, and I had my hand slapped many, many times, understandably, because I kept on saying Harry Potter um, because <laughs> it was the world and it was moving on. So when we brought out Fantastic Beasts, we were really looking at titles. What do we compare it against? And that's the only example we could think of, or the best example was Man of Steel, because Man of Steel was a Superman film coming out at the same time. Not at the same time, sorry. A Superman film coming out, but not with the same title yeah um, okay you know the um logan did it so when logan the wolverine film came out actually the day before release they changed the title to something along the lines of logan hyphen a wolverine story something along those lines and what we noticed with fantastic beast was again a really strong campaign it didn't actually matter that they rebranded and i think that's that okay. was some really really that was something cool to work on 10 not 10 years ago eight years ago or however long 2016 yeah. um and to see that that kind of come full circle in my career with with the afc and looking at how our data was able to present that um was was really cool 
That's compelling. Yeah, it's amazing, actually. And it's, uh, I mean, in terms of gaming as well, it's a massive moment for that rebrand. I, I can't think of any bigger rebrand that's happened, actually. Um, so that's that's incredible. You guys are able to, you probably knew before EA knew, I'm guessing. Well, you will have done. Uh, we, we can track, I mean, EA, again, they're, they're one of the behemoths of this world, right? So they will, they'll be looking at this data and, and understanding that, but we can, we can get a good idea ahead of time. Um, and again, so so Peter uh, met up with a few of his ex-colleagues um, at Gamescom in August and, and was kind of talking this through. Um, and then we went back and, and really looked for the factual data behind that, um, which was there. An amazing job. And actually, just just to call out companies that have rebranded with a game really well, going back to Warner Brothers, they brought out a game called Hogwarts Legacy this year. You know, a game that had been delayed by however long and I think it did a billion dollars within a couple of weeks. Wow. And a game that doesn't have the words Harry Potter in it. If you type it's in amazing. Harry Potter on Amazon, it comes up with Monopoly. And it's these okay. excellent marketing teams who are really rebranding and understanding, right, what are consumers searching for and how can we how can we kind of tie that in? So there's a lot that goes into discovery. Um, and where we can really support is the discovery on the retail side of things. So really understanding how are consumers searching uh, and how can you make the most of that. So last week we were at the Ecom Expo in London. Um, Peter and I presented um, five tips to increase revenue on the digital shelf. And I actually caught five minutes of a, um, a really interesting talk. And they were talking about which pages on a retailer's site convert the most. So it was okay. the home page the category page, and then the product page. And a lot of people would probably assume product page or home page, but actually the, the highest converting page is the category page. So like I said earlier, it would be PlayStation 5 games or uh, or pens. And it's 36% yep. of conversions come from category page. So that's still where consumers are going to. Um, wow. And that's where your organic rank really matters. Now again, we we all heard, we've all heard the old um, adage about Google saying being on the second page of Google is like being the change that's stuck in your sofa. You, no one's ever going to look there, um, and it's really similar with retailers and and search. So we want to help our brands be on that first page and really track if you're running promotions, are they working? Um, it, it seems it's, like it's, it's not it's enough in the sense that. With what there's there's like a trickle down effect here, isn't it? It's about how easy it is for the for first of all the consumer, right? So the consumer's gone PlayStation games, right? So it's the easy thing to type. They want inspiration, probably. Um, so all they put in is PlayStation games and found the category, and that's it, right? Then they clicked on some things that taken taken their fancy, and then they've gone down the rabbit warren and bought something. For you guys, you're making it that that ease transfer, if you like, is then being passed down the chain to to your customers to say, okay, well, if you want to you want to get to this place, this is what you have to do to get there. Um, it's quite interesting the psychology that come that comes through the whole process there. Yeah, it's, it's there's a there's a few ways to look at it. I think the there's a really nice graph that looks at it's called the search demand curve. And it looks at which search terms should you really be optimized for. Um, one question I, I always look at, and which this is a low intent search term, so where you're going to get lots of people searching, but the purchasing content and possibly conversion will be lower, is if it's your 90-year-old grandma searching for it, is she going to find it? So 
things like hyphens, trademarks, and formats. Formats is a really nice example. So let's go back to FIFA 23. FIFA yeah. 23 for a couple of days, uh, we did a business breakfast earlier this year and I was doing some research and did a digital shelf audit on Amazon for, for this EA title to present um, to some of our clients. FIFA 23 had their PDP on Amazon, amazing PDP, so really strong A-plus content, really nice product descriptions, etc. but the title didn't have the format in brackets. So I, I talk about saying, would your 90-year-old nan be able to find it? Our, our lovely <laughs> operations, um, who's a mum of, of two girls, not necessarily FIFA players, but still would be likely to buy this kind of product. Um, she didn't, she looked at that and went, I don't know what console that for. I would go and buy that and it would probably be for the wrong thing. So yeah. that's that's some really low hanging fruit when it comes to the PDP and that that low low conversion but really, really high numbers. Um but then you go really granular. So you've got the people that search for PlayStation Five games and what comes up. Um then the next step of that is probably like I was saying, if someone searched Harry Potter games. Um, and what will come up on Amazon. And what you'd actually see is lots of Cluedo, lots of Monopoly, lots of card games, some DVDs, obviously Hogwarts Legacy. So again, the the intent is there. They're, they're searching for that franchise, but it's yeah. really being able to find the products within the weeds. Um, so again, the conversion would be better than in a wide category search like PS5 video games. Um, and then you really start to go granular. You can maybe go top 10, video games or you go for full title and full title is really interesting because if you look at not just in the uk but if you look at foreign markets take media Mart in germany for example some okay. titles you'll put the english title in nothing will come up you'll translate it nothing will come up and what's that what that's because of is things like hyphens semicolons misspellings. so spider-man 2 comes out next month i think Lots of retailers will not spell Spider-Man 2 correctly. They'll put okay. Spider, they'll put Spider-Man as one word or Spider's-Man. There'll be little things. And again, this is probably a 15, 20% of retailers that will do it. There'll be little things that, although won't affect all of your sales, will affect 10% at least because that's how the consumer is searching. And yes, if they're searching for Spider-Man, they'll go to another retailer, but that doesn't necessarily matter. And that's why we also work with retailers. It's because if if a PDP is naff, you know, if a, if a consumer doesn't enjoy a PDP, and by enjoy, I mean, if they can't get the information that they need to convert, 86% yeah. of them are going to go onto another PDP, onto another okay. retailer's site and convert. So retailers really need to actually manage this, possibly more than brands do, because we're in a world where, You've got the likes of Amazon. You've got loads of Shopify stores. You've got loads of Etsy stores. You've got eBay. You've got Facebook Marketplace. So whatever category you're in, the retail marketplace is so competitive that brands are going to be able to get their product out there. And if someone wants to buy it and they can find it, excellent. But actually, the retailers really need to focus on what's going to make our shop look the best. What's going to make our store the most convertible? And I think this is where Amazon are possibly starting to shift their focus away and may end up with a bit of market share loss is Amazon's really focused on being a retail media platform. So Amazon okay. really cares about the Unilevers, the Cokes, etc. spending fortunes 
to get their sponsored posts, to get their banner ads, etc., etc. Whereas actually, as well as third-party sellers, so I think the stat, and I could be wrong, but I think the stat is by 2026, 60% of sellers on Amazon will be third-party. Right, So okay. what that means is when someone searches for a coffee cup or headphones, they're not getting the perfect retail experience because they're getting yeah. too many products to choose from and they don't know what they can trust. You know, I'm I'm a firm believer that if I see a product that's got 2,000 five-star reviews, I'm never going to buy it because it's clear yeah. that those reviews have been bought <laughs> um, yeah. and they're not, they're not genuine. So other retailers, the likes of Tesco, Smith's Toys, etc., they've got this real opportunity to be an amazing place for consumers to come and shop. Um, and I, if they make the most of it, then they're also going to build out that loyalty. Um, yeah, okay. So, I mean, again, I can't take anything away from Amazon. As a, as a retailer, as a marketplace, they're phenomenal and they've completely changed the landscape of, you know, everyone used to go to Google to search for things. So you open your app, don't you? Yeah, but now 56% of um, consumer searches for products are on marketplaces. Really? Okay. And less than 20% are directly through Google. That's um, mind-blowing, it, isn't it? It's, it's crazy. And, and you know, when you look at consumer electronics, when there's probably more, uh, more educated purchase being made because the ticket item is higher, they may look at Amazon and then go and look somewhere else, look on a trusted reviews or any other site, and then go, right, well, where do we want to buy it from? Now, inevitably, they'll probably come back to Amazon because price point-wise, it's going to be really strong. But a lot of people, you know, the likes of John Lewis, really, really strong retailers because they offer a really nice experience for the consumer. Um, it's that omni-channel experience as well as in a lot of cases. And yeah. I mean, the, the, Sam, what I'm hearing here is there's so much insight and industry knowledge that you've, you've picked up um, and are articulating in quite a simple way, right? Um, and I, I suppose that's because you're at the sharp end of it, right? You're, you're, you're talking about this every single day. You're talking to um, tier one companies all the time about it and problem solving and showing how your solutions will, will, will come around this. But how, how working in a in a tech company or working in a SaaS company, obviously, you kind of have this technology element and you have the commercial element, right? And you're leading the commercial element. Does, does this all feed back into the tech? Does it all feed back into to how Eves operates? I mean, what would you say around that and how would you encourage people to look at it? Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of a short answer to that is in, in my first interview with Peter, our CEO last year, I think we were together for four and a half hours. Um, wow. So by the end of it, I was shaking because I've had three coffees and no breakfast. <laughs> I had so much caffeine and just hadn't been able to walk around. But yeah, I, uh, our CEO and I spend far too much time together um, plotting what we want the product to do, what we think it should do and, and where it should go. Um, you know, we're both really firm believers in the product needs to suit what problems are there. And those problems are going to constantly change. So we need to be a really adaptable product. So so Peter is really involved in our client side of things when it comes to feedback from clients, but then also the commercial side of the business are really involved in the development development arm. Um, I've actually got a, we got our commercial weekly team meeting tomorrow. Um, and Jason, the guy on my team proposed this morning that 
we're going to spend half an hour and everyone's going to go around the room and talk about, right, of our clients, what are their goals for Q4? How can we help them? And we're going to effectively just write loads of stuff down on the whiteboard. And that help could come from reports that we can build out, but it can also come from us going knocking on Pete's door and going, look, we think these features would be really helpful. So a, a really good example of that is um, Eves' first, first ever client, um, really big in the video game space, um, brought out a tier one game this year. Um, mm -hmm. They did excellently. And we worked with them in 15 plus markets. Uh, and earlier this year, we really wanted to push on the product from for, not necessarily forcing people to come to the dashboard, but forcing people to go through too much data. You know, okay. we're in a world where everyone has access to really annoying salespeople like myself who are selling data. And sometimes the good ones will, will get the deals, et cetera. So any person that's working in a big brand has got access to if they wanted it, probably 10,000 things of data that could come in every single day. That could be Nielsen traffic data. It could be GFK data. It could be game sale through data. It could be loads of different things. So how can we make it so that they enjoy getting an email notification from Eves? They don't go, oh, I need to rifle through this and spend five minutes on it. And the, 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 the answer we got to was exception reporting. So effectively, and I'm a firm believer in this and, Possibly may offend um, people, but I don't think so. In I prefer to tell you when you're doing it wrong than patting you on the back when you're doing it right. Um, it's a morally right thing to do, isn't it? There's nothing worse than letting somebody carry on when they think it's right and it's and it's wrong. Exactly that, and it's kind of how I feel about my golf swing. It's fairly horrendous, <laughs> um, and someone will say, "Oh, you got you know you, you that was a nice shot," and I'll always always just look down and go, "But I have the ugliest golf swing in the world." Um, and, and that's effectively what we really do with our customers. And through this exception reporting is we're not going to tell you what's in stock. We're not going to tell you what price is the same. We're going to tell you what's gone out of stock and what prices have moved. And how this has affected our customers and been of benefit to our customers is uh, we had a QBR in July, no, in, in April, um, from April, for April to July, which was just after their main title was released. And we went in and we set an availability goal. So in these 15 markets, that availability was 62%. Um, not just for one title, but for about 15 or 20 different titles in their catalog. Um, so we went in and said, right, we'll work with you and your distributors to increase this. And we set the target 70%. So an 8% increase within, within a three-month period. And from a revenue point of view, that 8% increase without looking at the numbers will more than pay for it, probably 10 times over. Um, but actually, it worked so well that within that three-month period, we got the availability up to 79%. So well, if you look at it, we increased their availability by 28% in 15 markets in three months. Now, again, wow. we're not going in and actually sending more stock. We're just really highlighting the bits of data that the team need to understand and need to work with. Um, yeah. And it's got to the stage now where we have a tri-party agreement with uh, ourselves, the client, and then their distributors that... Actually, we've taken out the client in, in a lot of the stages because all they needed to do was forward on an email. So we've given the distributors access in a really nice flywheel that means we'll send it to the client so they're aware of what's going on. But also, to save them a job, we'll send it directly to the distributors um, so that we're working directly with those distributors. And we have a really nice split between brands and distributors as, as a client base. And because of that, 
that's driving the um, availability even more. So, okay. To, to answer your question, yeah, we we um, we're constantly evolving the product to make sure it's in line with what our pipeline has spoken about. Um, yeah. Now, not talk about specific deals that are in our pipeline, but it's nice to be at a stage where if a prospect says, hey, "Can you do this?" It's um, right now. It's it's on a long list of things that we'd like to do, but if you ask for it, we'll get it done within a week. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the nice part, I suppose, of being in a tech first business. Yeah, exactly. No, I understand that. And I think the, um, I mean, we, we find it as well in Brightside with the, um, particularly with the dashboards, which the dashboards are constantly evolving. And there's that fine line between adding value to to your clients, uh, to making it more work for them and having to be trained on it, etc. So I see exactly what you're doing there. It's all around ease of information and clarity of information as well. So no, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, so, so, for you personally then, Sam, and this is um, a planned question, obviously, given the people listening to the, to the podcast, uh, how does that, all of this affect your sales efforts? And if you were to kind of try and summarize as a SaaS company for, 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 for budding um, uh, tech salespeople, kind of how are they best to structure things here? And how, how does all of this impact your, your efforts? Uh, it's a great question, I think. Everyone looks for their own blueprint and they look at previous bosses or previous companies and what's worked and what hasn't worked to to help that along. So I'm quite I'm quite um, quite young in my leadership journey. Um, so I've looked at what's worked previously and I've got really nice mentors. Um, so my my first bosses in my career I still see quite often to to really walk through ideas and go well is this going to work etc. But then there's also just You've got to try stuff and see. So effectively, where we got to when I joined Eves in January was right. Well, here's our revenue targets. Fine, let's break down that number. How many people do we need to speak to to hit that target? And always be really conservative. So if our AOV is X and our conversion rate is X or is Y, how many meetings do I need to have or our sales team need to have to hit that number? And then add 50% just so we can go past the number and make sure that because we're in a recession year, we can still hit those numbers. And then it comes to, right, here's the MQL and SQL number required, or a lot of sales team will look at meetings and opportunities. How do we get there? Do, do we have the capabilities within our marketing and lead generation efforts at the moment? If so, brilliant. Let's scale them up if possible. And then if not, well, what structure do we look at? So Robbie, you know, we work really closely together and, and for us it was a mixture between internal and external. Um, so we brought in new guys to really help us with that that bulk. Let's go out and talk to prospects. Because we're also yep. building a brand at the same time, which as any marketeer will know is a really difficult thing. Um, to build a brand without really shoving it down people's throats is not an easy task. Um, and that's where you guys have been excellent. So you know, LinkedIn messaging, warm calling, etc., and, and and that's kind of where our blueprint is now. But then in a year, 18 months time, it's going to be completely different depending on what our targets and what's working. So I think looking back at previous experience and, and what other people have had is always going to help. I mean, that if for any suits watchers, um, there was a good quote in there <laughs> years ago. Uh, Mike Ross said, there's nothing new under the sun. And there really is, but it's just understanding if there has been anything new that, that you've seen it. So I know a lot of people see LinkedIn as kind of work, Facebook, but actually if you follow the right people, 
there's some real golden nugget information in there. So talking of people that I look at, um, there's a guy called Sam Jacobs, who's the CEO of Pavilion. Uh, okay. He had a podcast called the Sales Hacker Podcast. So I listen to that and really understand, right, well, how are these guys that are running Salesforce in Australia or running really, really cool B2B businesses, how are they scaling their sales teams? And how are they driving revenue? Um, and again, it's it always comes back to that simple numbers game. What do we need to achieve? And you know what KPIs do we need to get there? And then really going, yeah. really going after that and trusting. You don't want 25 different KPIs. You maybe want three or four and really wrap home that you're ticking those boxes. Because then if it got to a stage where, you know, let's say our MQL target is 100 MQLs and yeah. we hit that, but then we're still behind on a revenue number, well, then we know it's a conversion issue. Yeah. And then yeah. that's when we possibly go, right, and now let's talk to product. Um, or if we hit 100 MQLs and we're on 250% of our number, we know, excellent, our conversion rate is actually 2.5 times better than what, it, what we thought it was. Um, so it's it's try and strap it back to bare bones um, and understand the numbers that required. And that's where you guys have been really helpful. Because um, again, well, it's... I was in um, one of our early conversations, you were, we were able to articulate very simply your strategy internally and where we slotted in, where, where our tech slotted in, our methodology slotted in. And that's... Um, it's actually, believe it or not, quite rare to come across that from a from a sales professional. A lot of people will talk talk the talk, but they won't, won't actually sit there and plan and actually come up with what is inherently complex, right? You, like you have a very difficult job, but um, and can, can this and, be sent to my boss. Yeah, I'm sure. A very, very difficult job. We can we can just we can call that the podcast title yeah. if you want, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a very challenging job for, for any sales professional. But it's being able to get it to simplicity and to be able to articulate what you're trying to do is is an art form and and really the difference between success and failure in a lot of in a lot of cases. Um, and I know you've got your your, your, your you literally talked about your revenue, or how many deals that is what you need to do, hit all of that and to be able to do it in a flow chart so everybody can see, right, that's the roadmap, let's go. Um, it's key. It's absolutely key. Um, it is. It is. And it can sometimes be really daunting um, to the point, you know, in, in early Jan when I just joined Eves, I was doing this maths on a in a notebook and going, oh, oh, and then looking at my diary. And then actually... Once you, once you, and I had a really good sales trainer once called Augusta Vivian, um, and they had a really nice point, which was called swallow the frog. So always yep. do the thing you're dreading, and it's always a lot simpler than you think it is. It, it's I'm, I'm similar like with that with, with exercise. I'll always be dreading it, and then as soon as I start, I'm like, why don't I do this every day? Um, but then by the end, when I'm really tired, I realise why I don't do it every day. Um, and, and and I think it can be as important as that is not pushing things back when you possibly don't want to do them. Um, because if you can set up the right processes, your life is made 10 times easier. And, and I think one one other thing, and not golden nugget is the complete wrong word, and over-exaggerated, <laughs> but, you know, my career has been made from being an agency that businesses have come to and e-commerce directors have come to to um, grow their business and get them the next promotion effectively. Um, so I saw some great examples during the pandemic where by tracking a certain few things, you know, one guy, got, uh, one, one person got three promotions in t 14 months and went from wow. running 
running UK Amazon to global Amazon plus all omnichannel and f full e-commerce um, globally for a really large brand. And it's understanding what parts of your business you want to do internally and then going, right, what can I hand off and how do I hand it off? Um, and finding the right partners is, is huge. So, you know, I, my whole life is spent pitching and, and convincing brands that we're the right partner, but the agency that we use, you know, like yourselves, it's making sure that there is that right cultural, but also strategic fit. So those yep. goals can be achieved. And I think as, as on that testimonial that I filmed for you guys earlier, we tripled our business with you guys within about six, seven weeks. So I think that's a nice indicator. I mean, if, if all of my clients tripled our business within seven weeks, the background would be Barbados. Um, <laughs> we'll be retiring in, ne in the next 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of things. And, and like you say, sim bring it down to basics and plan from there is a, is a nice way to start. It's bringing it down to basics. It's building rapport and trust as well, that you do know what, what you say actually does happen. That's really key. Um, and I think we, we use the, um, the phrase speedboats and oil tankers. Um, you know, we work with our oil tankers. We see ourselves as a speedboat, but ultimately we're all going in the same direction and we should all know what the end result is. Um, yeah. The other phrase that I heard one of the guys internally saying here is, look, for this particular person manages 10 clients for us. They're an account manager and they were like, okay, basically I've got 10 trains and I'm always on those trains. I'm part of the team. That's my mentality. Like success or failure is not really about me. It's about my client and what they want and, and how, what can I do within my power to influence that, you know? Um, and um, sometimes it gets lost. Like you were saying earlier on, it, it, things can become transactional um, where it's clearly an account manager gets given a sale that's just been done to hit a quarterly number. Now, we all know why that happens, but it's not sustainable. It's just simply not sustainable. Um, no. and, and actually, that's, that's a nice segue to where SaaS businesses are at the moment, which is 2020, 2021, drive revenue, drive revenue, drive revenue. doesn't matter how we get it, drive revenue. And then it's either going for funding or say it or selling the business or going public, et cetera. And, and all of this information I'm getting is, again, from this Sam Jacobs guy, um, the, the Pavilion CEO, Whereas now it's, well, it's not just driving revenue, it's driving sustainable revenue. What, what is sustainable revenue? Well, it's deals that are profitable, a business that is profitable, but then also deals that aren't going after 12 months, making sure that actually a client is here for the long run instead of they're, back to that train analogy, they're here for one stop on the train. Um, and we're in a, a very cautious investment environment and, and general business environment at the moment that clients will be asking what churn rate is because they need to know, well, if, if what does everyone else do? And yeah. if you, you know, I think if you can get your churn rate to 85 plus percent, you're in, incre in an incredible place. Um, and that's where the account management teams are really important. And then peeling it back and Pete will be very happy with me saying this. The tech needs to be right. But yep. if the you know the the tech needs to be so good that the people can be interchanged very easily, and it still work. Um, and that's most of the work that we do at Eves. And again, I'm no, I'm by no means a technical expert. Um, I'm brought into lots of conversations with Pete where I nod along, and sometimes there's monkeys clapping in my head. Um, <laughs> a few bits, and it's 
it's really important. And there's reasons why businesses like HubSpot, Salesforce, Tesla, Apple are so successful. And it's because their tech's excellent. And, you know, all of the... Well, they're in control of their tech as well. That's the key thing is knowing... You know, knowing your tech, knowing that you can influence it, knowing that, okay, as you said earlier, if client X re- requests feature Y, they're requesting it because it'd be very useful for, for them. Yeah. Therefore, it's going to be useful for probably 50% plus of all the other clients in most yeah. cases. And that's exactly what the SaaS model is, right? It's you, effectively, you create something that is more expensive than what you can sell it to one person, but then you sell it to 20 people. And that's a, yeah. a, a fairly standardized SaaS model. And... It's, it's, it's any business model. It's the same for your agency model. It's the same for Apple making phones. Um, but you need to make sure that that product works. And I'd, I'd far prefer to be doing double growth, but it's sustainable growth than 10x growth that's unsustainable. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> it, there's nothing worse. I, I think you can also go down a really steep Hill, as soon as you um, as soon as you start to lose clients, reputation can be built, and effectively, if people have that element of "oh, do we trust it?" then actually a huge market shift can happen. So, what I've seen in the digital shelf space is 2020, 2021, two year deals were really, really standard. You know, two three year deals were really standard across the board. Even yep. you know, even big ticket items, and again, from a salesperson's point of view, it's great because we could discount them slightly. Um, so it was easier to get it across the board, etc. And then you don't have to worry about that 12-month renewal stage. Mm-hmm. But now there's it, it's really rare to see anything go past 12 months because it's that just in case. Because, the, again, there's, there's this merry-go-round of vendors and they don't want to be stuck. Um, you know, there's oh, and, and in a lot of spaces as well, things change so rapidly, don't they? That's yeah. the thing. Like you see a lot of companies get to a place and then they get stagnant. And I mean vendors, that is. They'll 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 capture a certain amount of the market, but then they'll just keep doing the same thing. They won't keep pushing the boundary, they won't keep driving forward. Yeah. Um and looking for innovation that's gonna keep them ahead, basically, of the rest of the market. Yeah, because fifteen percent sales growth through price increases can work. Hmm. Yeah. And it's true. Uh, you know, it's it's if your churn rate's really low, um, and you're smart with the way you price things, that can work. But like you say, that will eventually lead to churn, and then also you'd just be a bit bored. Yeah. You know, you've got to try and experiment and, and really see where you can push the boundaries. And, you know, HubSpot's a great example of that. Who, who'd have thought that HubSpot would be competing with Salesforce for CRMs? I know, it's uh, crazy, isn't that, it? That's another thing, actually. Talking of a really nice sales model is using partners. Really buying yeah. in that partnership model, I think. Well over fifty percent of HubSpot's revenue comes from partners. I know yeah, you guys, yeah. the HubSpot Premium partners, um, we yep. use HubSpot internally. Their business model is incredible, and a huge part of that is finding people that really understand your product and can think of where it goes within a business. Again, I, I, I've got good experience selling into UAE and APAC, etc., but not as much experience as you know the guys that are there. And the people that have been selling in there for twenty years, so I'd much prefer to effectively invite them to partner with us and and really be on that joint venture together because I think that is also where brands are going to see the most value. 
Well, it's a two-way partnership as well. That's the key thing, isn't it? Is it you both understand each other back and forth, yeah. which is is really really key in terms of um, what's the right word? Because you're kind of advocating for each other, basically. You 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 understand each other's pressures, um, and, and you often see the supplier arrangement with with buyer arrangements be one way, um, where actually. When it's when it's two way, I know there's always a difference in terms of the power dynamic, of course. But when it's two way, when when buyer understands supplier's ability and also willingness to push the envelope a little bit um, forward, and then that happens the other way is is supplier understands where the buyer can go, or as you said earlier, their actual KPIs and what they're trying to achieve. Um, then that's where that's the sweet spot where the magic happens, um, yeah. and it, then it stops being transactional. It starts becoming sustainable and it's growth-led and it's it's all the good stuff. Yeah, and it's it's the same. it's kind of similar with with our clients. It's if if you're doing well, then we're also going to do well. But it's also that, like you say, it's that real give and take of how can we help you do better, but also the brands can help us be better. I'd much prefer them to tell us that they want a couple of features or that there's this, this, and this that they want to do. And tell us six months ahead of time so we can build it out instead of getting to renewal and then going, oh, we just needed something with X and Y yeah. and then being too late to actually build it out. And, and we have a really transparent relationship with all our clients and that's that's down to the, I suppose, the secret source that's sat in our customer success team is that real transparency and open relationships with them to to really understand what's going to drive growth for them. And, and that's what it needs to come down to and you know, as much as we want to hit our own numbers, et cetera, and like you say, be quite transactional, you really have to go that step deeper. And, and yeah. what that step deeper means is what's going to mean they're going to renew, possible to get rid of. Um, and that can be, right, guys, what are your targets and how can we help you hit them? How can we help you double them so that you can get a promotion as well as a nice big bonus? Good. Well, Sam, it's been a, um, it's an absolute pleasure. There's, I feel like there's been a knowledge bomb dropped and I feel like we're only just scratching the surface, to be honest, in terms of, um, in terms of what we could talk about with you. Maybe we should do another session in a, in a few months time, um, and, um, go a little bit deeper and get an update from you in terms of where Eves is and, and what's happening in the industry, particularly after Christmas, I guess it will be key, 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 key to, to talk about for you guys. Um, good. Well, Sam. It's been a, um, it's an absolute pleasure. There's, I feel like there's been a knowledge bomb dropped, and I feel like we're only just scratching the surface, to be honest, in terms of, um, in terms of what we could talk about with you. Maybe we should do another session in a, in a few months' time, um, and um, go a little bit deeper and get an update from you in terms of where Eves is and, and what's happening in the industry, particularly after Christmas. I guess it will be key, 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 key to, to talk about for you guys. Um, but um, in the meantime, thanks for coming on. It's been awesome. Um, Sam, where can we find you and where can the listeners find out more about Eves? Yeah, of course. Um, so www.eves.com. So that's uh, E-E-B-Z. Um, but then my email is, is sam at eves.com. Um, and again, I'm, I'm sure whenever this is posted, there'll be links and things. Um, but no, Robbie, thanks for having me on. It's it's always nice to chat um, and good to catch up. So yeah, it's we're in a really nice spot. and I'm looking forward to seeing how you guys can help us grow in Q4. Um, yeah, really, really cool stuff. Hey guys, really hope you found today's On the Bright Side podcast interesting and full of business to business sales and marketing advice. If you like what you hear, please head over to our LinkedIn page for more free content. And of course, feel free to connect with me, Robbie McGregor, 
or any of my My Bright Side team for the latest news, advice, or even a quick friendly chat. Until next time, stay on the bright side.